Welcome to the first ever episode of Chasing Three Hours, a podcast about what runners are chasing, why they keep pushing themselves, and what keeps them curious. I'm Josh Peterson. That word there, curious, is ultimately why I decided to start this podcast. I got into running in a completely unexpected way at the start of 2020. I had had a on-again, off-again relationship with it. I'd run in a couple of marathons. I'd run in a bunch of half marathons, but it was always a means to an end. I'd finish the race. I'd move on with my life. I made some changes, though, in how I ran in 2020, and I've ended up falling in love in a way that completely caught me off guard. Cut to the beginning of 2022, and I wanted to start writing about it. And so I did in a newsletter called Chasing Three Hours. And I named it that, figuring I would have this long process documenting my chase for the ultimate goal of a sub three hour marathon and also a Boston qualifying time. Well, in October of 2022, I chased it and I caught it. And I had the best race of my entire life. At the beginning of this year, I decided that I wanted to document even more. And so what had been a sometimes twice a month, sometimes once a month newsletter, and I wanted to go every single week documenting the lead up to the 2024 Boston Marathon. I titled those the Boston Diaries. And so I've been writing about running on a weekly basis now, going all the way back to January 1st this year. We recently passed 20 entries and there will still be 40 some odd more ahead of next April. But lately, I realized I just wanted to talk about it a bit more. My day job, I'm on the radio every single day talking about sports. I wanted to interview people. I wanted to find out what makes them tick. I wanted to hear their stories. What goals do they have? And ultimately, what they are chasing. Thus begins this podcast, and I really appreciate you again for joining me today. The first guest is Jonathan Levitt. He hosts For the Long Run. He's been doing so since 2019. This is a really great conversation. We talk about the emotional side of running something that I know that I am incredibly passionate about. We also talk about what it is like to host a running podcast, particularly after a great race and maybe one that goes against you. What did it mean for him when he broke three hours back in 2019? And a whole lot more. Enjoy today's interview with Jonathan Levitt. Jonathan Levitt, host of For the Long Run since 2019. Thank you so much for joining me today on the inaugural edition of Chasing Three Hours. Of course. Thank you for having me. Uh, One of my favorite parts about your podcast is you ask all of your guests, who are you? And I'm not going to steal that question, but I I did want to ask a question to begin every podcast. So I'll ask you this. How did your run go today? My run today was great. Uh, I woke up early at like 5.30 in the morning. I texted a friend who's always running super early. I was like, hey, are you running early today? And she's like, yes, I'm leaving for Patasso in 30 minutes. Meet me there. Um, Patasso is a a trail system up above Boulder, um, up Flagstaff, and not up Flagstaff, uh, Sugarloaf. And um, it's beautiful. And I, I jumped out of bed. I got in the car and I ran seven miles of trails, beautiful single track, uh, and it was a wonderful, wonderful run. Uh, I, I reached out to you because I have, so I, I got into your podcast at the very end of last year. I ran Chicago and I think I got into it maybe a week or two before. And I, I found the way that you talked about running really interesting. 
And like, I, I, I really love the emotional side of things. And it seems like you really like the emotional side of things as well. And it was, it was really cool following you as, as you were leading up to CIM. And I remember waking up that day wondering, you know, what's going to happen. And, you know, and, and I want to talk about that with you, but I guess the last few months, I think it's, it's, it seemed like things were going different and you put something on Instagram recently uh, about just, I guess, the things that you have been going through. What what has your relationship been like with running over the last few months? Yeah, so um, training for CIM, I had some of the best long runs, some of the best workouts I've ever had. I was finishing um, my marathon PR is 259. I thought that 255 was in sight. Yeah. And um, I was finishing like 20 and 22 mile runs at... 630 pace, which felt easy and conversational. I had a day where if I had run like another 5k easy, I would have run like a 315 marathon. Um, and it, it just like felt like a, like a normal day of like, yeah, like a longer long run, but not like a 315 marathon in, in training with, you know, anyway. Um, so I had pretty high expectations on race day and mile one, two, three, four, five, click off at somewhere in the 640s. Um, and I'm like, am I about to have another day? Just like a really good day. And mile 10 hits and I'm still rolling along. I had squeaked a little ahead of the um, sub uh, of the three-hour pack, which was my plan. But my buddy, um, Adam Kimball, was pacing the sub three pack. And I told him, I was like, I better hang with you for 90 minutes and then I'll say goodbye. But I said goodbye at like 45 minutes. Um, anyway, I, I, I puked a ton, like 12 miles worth of puke. Um, I, I really don't know why uh, it yeah. wasn't great. I took eight, I think eight days off of exercise and then got back into running and things just never really clicked in December, January, February. And then I started traveling a ton and work got really challenging. And I was doing long distance again after having lived with my girlfriend for nine months. Um, and it, like, it was just a, a confluence of stuff where running was taking more than it was giving. And I, I felt the need to back off a lot. And so, um, one day, I as I live here in Boulder, and David Roche is my coach. He's still my coach. And I went over to his house, and we were talking, and he was like, are you depressed? And I said, I'm not not depressed. And we have a relationship where he can ask these questions, like point blank. And um, I answered honestly. And um, the, the, the week prior, the Friday prior... Uh, I had run eight miles with Hayden Hawks at a 714 pace here in Boulder. So at you know 5,000 feet and it was conversational. And David was like, when I saw that run, I knew that it wasn't physical. You weren't overtrained and that it was mental. And that's why he asked that question. And so from that point on, he just, he deleted everything for the next two weeks and just wrote, celebrate yourself in the training log. And he's like, do whatever you want, do whatever you need. And I didn't run for like a couple of days, maybe a week. And I just like took a hard reset. And um, I'm really grateful for that. Um, I had just been in Boston and 
I remember Kate, my girlfriend, was like, what are you doing? You're not having fun. Um, and that forced me to like think a lot more about my current relationship with running, prompted me to have that conversation with David, ultimately back off of the running. And I've like basically been self-coaching since March and running when I want. <laughs> Sometimes that means doing a workout and deciding on it like as I walk out the door and program it into my watch. Sometimes it means I'm three miles into my run and I'm, I'm now deciding to do a workout. Um, and I've gotten pretty fit just doing that. Um, in the fall, I, I peaked at 80 miles. I ran three weeks of 70 plus like 72 and 73. And I'd say the average of that cycle was like 65 to 68 miles. And since March, I've been running between like, I had a bunch of like four weeks of 25. Um, and I've been hovering in the 40 mile range. And in that time, three weeks ago, I ran my fourth fastest lifetime 5k. Um, I raced Boulder Boulder and I ran within like 50 seconds of, or 45 seconds of the time I ran in 2019 coming off the sub three hour marathon, um, where I was like stupid fit. Um, and I just like, have, a, and I, I can't wait to go talk to David about this, but like, I just have a different approach with running and a different relationship with running right now. And I hope I can figure out a way to carry that forward because, um, it was literally like so many of us run because running gives yeah. us more, more like running is physical. Running is hard. When we run our legs, like the reason we get better is because there's inflammation and, and muscle damage that then gets repaired. And so it's physically taxing and it's also mentally taxing. Um, but many of us run because the mental recharging outweighs the physical draining, Right but you can't go too far in one direction because then you'll be mentally and physically drained. That's overtraining or overreaching. And that's how people get injured and burnt out. I was burnt out. Um, I'd say. And so I've, I've, I've gotten to a point where like it's now giving back again and, and I'm using it as a tool to help me deal with other things and to help me think through things and to have joy with running with friends and, and all this stuff. Whereas a few months ago, like it, it felt like a chore and it was really not helping. Um, and I'm not getting paid to run. So why am I doing a chore that is physically challenging if I'm a, not enjoying it, B not getting value out of it and C it's, it, it's increasing my stress. So, um, I wouldn't wish the like January, February part on anyone in the like figuring out I must take a step back, but I would wish the, the learnings of taking a step back on people, but you can't really get that unless you experience a reason to need the learnings. I started a, a newsletter last year just as really a place to kind of put some of my thoughts and just to, to write about running. And, and I really didn't care about the reach. And, and in that time, when I, I started in February, I, I had a lot of success. Every race, it was a PR. 
And I, I remembered thinking, and I, and I'm guessing that just seeing what happened with you in the last few months, I remember thinking like, I wonder what's going to happen when a race day doesn't go my way. And then I have to write about it. And I, I finally had one of those about a month ago and it, it didn't go my way. It didn't go what I, what, how I wanted it to. And I remember sitting down to write about it. Like this kind of sucks. I've never had to do this. What, what has it been like for you given that you host uh, uh, a wildly successful running podcast? And again, going back to the start that it's, it is it is about like the emotional side of running and and I think a lot of the positive uh, of the emotional side of running and so you're dealing with all these feelings and yet you have to talk about it you know for an episode every week. Yeah, I love that question and the reason I love it is because um, I've had that period of everything is awesome and I'm PRing all the time and that was like 2019. Um, ran distance PRs. I did rim to rim to rim. I did a 50K. I PR'd the marathon by 20 minutes um, and broke this goal that I had been chasing for four years. And since then, like, I've, I've figured out how to love running separate from tangible results, I think. Um, and I say, I think because I still want the tangible results, but I don't define myself by it. And what's interesting is that like, there are three or four people that give me a hard time about like all of my good results having happened like three plus years ago. And then I'm like, but I'm having way more fun. I'm also fitter, but haven't really displayed that in a race. And my body can move through the mountains for 12 hours without giving up. Like that's pretty freaking cool. And, and that's what I like aspire to chase. And the reality is that um, there's some like stupid earned credibility. If you have an audience, it's not earned credibility, implied credibility Who's to say I know more? Uh, who's to say that I, I know anything? But because I have a podcast and a bunch of followers on Instagram, people follow my story. And I find it silly sometimes, but I also love it. And what I've learned along the way is that people who act human on the internet can create strong relationships with other people, right? Like. Yeah. Nobody wants the highlight reel and there's plenty of that out there. And while my job is not to make money through my running, I wouldn't be able to host my podcast if I weren't making money through the internet because I have a day job and I can't do it all myself. So I need to hire other people to do it for me. Um, and what's interesting is that you can build so much trust and credibility in sharing the real journey to a point. Um, and then those people will do anything for or with you. And I, I feel a lot of like, um, not pressure, but I respect that. And I, I, I respect the, that dynamic a lot. And I protect that dynamic a lot. Um, in that I'm really selective with who I work with, why I work with them, et cetera.
but I'm able to work with all these brands because of that trust and because of the, the, um, they say that you, you, it takes 10 years to build trust and 10 seconds to, to lose it. And that's how I conduct myself. Um, and I find that the telling the real story is easy for me because I, that's what I want to see. Um, and that, that builds into, into all of that. And so what's interesting is that here in Boulder, I've become friends with a lot of people who are like wildly successful at performing and running. Um, and the ones that are most interesting to me are the ones who disclose their struggles. And it's not like struggle porn, like, whoa, is me, life is hard, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, this is my life. And my kid took a shit on the couch today. And um, my workout wasn't great. And, you know, I'm having trouble with XYZ versus the like, oh, unicorns and, and puppies and and flowers all the time. Like, that used to work, <laughs> but it's really boring now. And and so um, very, very long-winded way to answer your question of I've felt pressure to perform. I when I crossed the the half marathon, so so back at CIM, yeah. my my five K split was like a six forty two, my ten K split was like a six forty five or something. And then my my, I don't know if it was twenty k or fifteen k, whatever it was, had dropped by like 15, 20 seconds a mile. And then the next split was like really bad. And I was thinking, I was like, what, what? They're like, there are a lot of people following this for some reason. What are they going to think is happening out there? And and I was like a little embarrassed about it. And in that race, I was actually really disappointed with my mental. Uh, toughness and I had never been so close to walking off the course because I was just like what the hell is the point um, I saw Kate at uh, mile 12 or 13 or something 10 I don't whatever it was I was like what am I doing this isn't fun I'm not having fun I I am really not proud of what I'm doing and or how I'm handling it um, and then my friend uh, Rachel runs by and she's like, John, help me run to 312. And I was like, okay, whatever, I'm going. And I, I took off. And I ran with her for two minutes before I puked on a, like, like two feet away from, like two inches away from a cop's foot. And I was like, I can't, I, I can't run with you for much longer. And, but at that point, I had decided that I was going to finish the race, or at least I was going to like see how far I could get. And so then I got to 15 and I got to 20 and I was like, I was expecting to see someone at 20 and they weren't there. And I was like, well, I guess I'm going to the finish line now. Um, and I finished in 345 or something like that. And um, again, shooting for 255. And the just like the outpouring of, wow, like way to, way to tough it out. I, you learn more about yourself on days that you tough it, blah, blah, blah. Like all that crap is true. <laughs> um, I hate to say it. Yeah. Um, and nobody was, re nobody really gave a shit that I 
didn't break three um, or that I was 44 minutes off my PR or that I walked like half of the, the second, like the last 20 K nobody cares, right? They care about this story. They care about the journey. They care about the takeaways. They care about how it makes them feel. That's the point. That's, that's, that's running. I felt like I felt like an asshole after after so I ran the Lincoln Marathon here in Nebraska. And so I ran a 259 in Chicago last year and just kind of kept things going. I had a really good end of the year recovery and then I hit the ground running again with a, you know, a plan that peaked at 70 miles. And I mean, I am just I'm smoking all of these goals that I have. I run a a 10 a 10 mile race and I go sub 1 hour and I'm like, "My god, if I get if I get one of those days, I'm I'm going to I'm going to PR again. I'm going to give myself a bit of a buffer for the BQ, which you know I, I think I have enough. I think I'll be okay. And so I go into Lincoln, and of course the weather is it's hot, it's humid. The sun's going to come out, and so kind of like you were, my times are you know five k six thirty something, ten k six thirty something, and then slowly the the time start ticking up, and it's like well a goal is gone, then the B goal is gone, and suddenly I'm like oh I don't even think I'm going to PR, and sure enough I don't. But I, feel, I, I go back to what I say. I feel like an asshole because I get on you know Strava afterwards and there was one comment in particular from somebody and, and she said to me like, 303 is still a really good time. <laughs> and my dad is saying, he's like, you finished 55th out of you know a thousand plus people. Like you have nothing to apologize for. And, and it's, I, I, again, I just, I, I feel like I have done some forgiving of myself in that moment over the last month. And it's so hard to explain sometimes Yet I still, there is still like this frustration that I can kind of have thinking back to, you know, a month ago when I ran that race. Yeah. And some of it is like, okay, your training was great. You ran, you know, 59 or broke 60 in the, in the 10 mile. I felt the same way. Um, And then you have the temptation to sign up for another race and like prove yourself and that's how you dig yourself into a hole yeah where like you're already taxed or and or burnt out you miss a goal and then you dig harder and you just fuck it up even more <laughs> and i've i don't want to say i've done that i in 2015 i ran a really great 18 miles of the shamrock marathon and like jogged it in from there. And I ran Boston like six weeks later. And like I didn't get punished for that. I was also 25. So a little more resilient. Explains it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely explains Can't it a little do it bit. Can't do it in our 30s hit, anymore. Yeah. I didn't hit the wall until mile 25. Uh, and I was like, whatever. I can deal with this. Yeah. <laughs> and I and I PR'd. Um, <laughs> go figure. I didn't look at my watch until I hit uh, Kenmore Square. Um but yeah, that 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 reality, like you finish three oh three, that's better than like ninety nine percent of marathoners. Yeah, like we're in this like weird eco chamber of people who. Well, so my first marathon was a three thirty five. I was running with November Project in Boston, and I was disappointed in my time. And I was like, mm, that kind of sucks. I thought I was going to go faster, and a friend of mine realized he's like, you're in this like micro community of fit freaks where you know people jump into their first marathon and run 247 or whatever or they they otq 
Um, and the reality of it is the average marathon time is something like four hours and 20 minutes or something like that. So 303, 310, 320, 330, like that's really below, below average, above average, whatever. Um, but, but it doesn't matter, right? It, it's all how, it, what it means to you. I joke that when I'm training, when I'm like getting close to a marathon, if you ask me my marathon time, I'll say sub two hours. And the reason I say that is because that's the only number that has meaning without context. If you run sub two hours, you are the best in the world. If you run 303, who knows if you're happy with it or not. If I ran 256, who knows if I'm happy with it or not. If I ran 401, who knows if I'm happy with it or not. <laughs> I took a lot of shit from someone who left a comment on the um, podcast, my podcasts uh, in a review. They are like, because <laughs> I said, I was like, they interpreted it as your marathon goals don't matter unless it's breaking two. <laughs> and I was like, your marathon goals have no context unless it's breaking two. And so now I'm, I run with, I do a lot of trail running here in Boulder, but I also run with, with a lot of like really fast people who are professional runners or have OTQ'd or chasing the OTQ. And so, you know, dudes in the two teens, women in the two twenties, um, up to, 245 plus and for them a 259 is only meaningful if it's hard work but they could run 259 and they'd be incredibly disappointed in themselves same number and that's what i love about it but that's also why i say that sub two is the only goal that is meaningful without context <laughs> Uh, you you mentioned um, you know the the first marathon you ran. You mentioned the November project. I read something earlier this week that you became a runner in 2013 after the Boston Marathon bombings. What like what was what was the lead up for you in terms of your running journey to that? And then what did it look like over the next few years? Yes. Yeah, so um, the lead up to that was. Um, I graduated college in 2012 and I was like running seven miles a week because I thought that I needed to be active. Like I correctly thought I needed to be active. And so I was running seven, like seven miles a week over like three runs, which is really funny to think about now. And I'm sure everyone listening to this podcast will also agree that seven miles across three runs is like funny knowing like, it's going to take more for me to drive to the trail and back and, and right. do all that, you know? Exactly. More time in my car. For, but at the time, it was a huge deal to, to run seven miles in the week. Anyway, um, so I was living at my parents' house. I was about to move into Boston. And I, I grew up in Needham, which is the town next to Wellesley, which is the half marathon point of Boston. And my original plan was to go to the finish line and watch at the finish line with some friends. Well, I decided to be lazy on the day. This is April, 2013. And I'm in Wellesley and I watch from the half marathon. I was near the Wellesley scream tunnel. I was like, wow, this is, these are, these women are wild. They're kissing everyone. Um, <laughs> and I was like, look at all these people running marathons, fat, skinny, 
medium, old, young, black, white, Asian, all of it, everyone, literally every single type of runner, every single type of person passed me. And I was like, that old 70 year old dude can do it. If that woman, blah, 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 like cocky 22 year old, um, if they can do it, so can I. And I was like, I sh- I want to run a marathon. And so then I'm in Foot Locker, uh, the store at like the Natick Mall <laughs> later that day. And I hear about the bombing. And at first I thought it was a joke because I was standing in Foot Locker and someone said that Marathon Sports was bombed. I was like, that's a, that's a terrible joke. And I later learned what actually happened. Um, and the next day I put on my shoes, which happened to be the Vibram five fingers <laughs> at the time. And I drove myself to what I now know as the top of Heartbreak Hill. And I ran into Boston or so I thought was on the course. I ran down calm. And instead of making the turn onto Chestnut Hill Reservoir Road on onto Beacon Street, I ran all the way down calm until it turned into the part of the course again that was on that's on calm. So I was like, who puts a massive <laughs> hill like this? For anyone listening from Boston, like the that's where the B line is, and it's a brutal hill. Um, and that that would be the equivalent of like mile twenty three. <laughs> it's like a really really steep hill, um, bigger bigger than probably four times as steep as Heartbreak. Anyway, um, and I get to the turn at Hereford where the barricades were still up, and I um, <laughs> I'm confronted with the SWAT team, and the guy goes, "Boy, you can't be here." You, you best go home. I was like, okay, mister, with the massive machine gun, I'm turning around now. Um, and I ran home. And that was my first half marathon. That was my first stress fracture. That was my first running injury. <laughs> um, and once I healed from said injury, I was like, this running thing is pretty cool. I, I think I need to do this. And I need to run that marathon. And this this marathon in particular. Yeah. And so it, from that moment on, the goal was run the Boston Marathon. And I didn't run it until 2015. Um, I got a invitational bib uh, that year. Um, so I hadn't DQ'd yet, but <laughs> I got a bib 11 days out from the race. I had just finished another marathon um, and I signed up. I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to BQ. And I obviously didn't. Um but that was my that was how I got into running, and yeah, that was ten years ago now, um, which is pretty wild. So, what did then? What did the next few years look like? You mentioned twenty fifteen. Um, I know you you've talked about the idea that you had to had to run a sub three to what well, you you put it in fr- like to feel like a good runner to like that's what runners have to do I that was and, the mark of a good runner of a good runner three so you know that like that that's what you you believe this is 2013 you do that in 2019 so what what do the next what do those years look like in terms of chasing after that goal so um tactically uh 335 327 327 but 9 seconds faster 320, 401, <laughs> um, 259, or something like that. Um, and 
what that actually what actually transpired over that time was um i never learned from any of those uh quote unquote failures of breaking 3 i thought that i was just fit and the marathon like owed me <laughs> i was like yeah i'm going to run that this is my day um and I didn't really respect the distance again, like mid, mid twenties, late twenties. I didn't really have the experience as a new runner to respect the distance. And so I just kept taking swings and taking bigger swings and just like crashing and burning and crashing and burning. And then I was like, "Mm, okay, maybe I should like refocus and take another approach. And so then I got into trail running and all of a sudden my long runs were five hours long. And then I do rim to rim to rim, which is 12 hours long or 42 miles as per my watch. And then I get back into marathoning and I have this like new joy of running and suddenly a two and a half hour long run is like pretty short and oh cool, I can like... (laughs) function and go to breakfast or like be done with my run before 3 p.m. <laughs> um, and like have a morning. Actually. I got the whole day and, left still. Yeah, exactly. You could go to brunch in, in the morning. Um, and so it was this reestablishment of a joy of running. Um, and I started working with David in 20, I want to say 2018 and like really found a joy with him and his approach um with the people i met through him with the i was starting to travel a lot and just like really learning from the people i was getting to meet mostly trail runners but a lot of road marathoners and one of the people that i happened to get to meet and get to know was Shalane Flanagan who i spoke with the night before my 2019 marathon and she talked about how she never feels more alive in that conversation she she said she never feels more alive than she does when she's racing marathons and i was like "Mm, that's interesting and i like filed it away in my brain and i stand on the start line the next morning it's providence rhode island may 52 degrees out drizzling a little bit And I'm just like a caged animal about to be released. And I'm standing on this start line, just like shit eating grin. I was like, I'm going to have a day today. And first mile, 640. Second mile, 640. Third mile, 640. Fourth mile, 640. Like, I was like, this is easy. I've never felt this good at this pace. It didn't feel like that forever. I ran my second fastest half marathon in the first half of the marathon, like within 30 seconds of my PR. I was like, well, that's that's a move. <laughs> um, and 15, 17, 18, 19 creeps in and I'm running down this bike path and I'm by myself like most of this race. And I'm like, ugh, this is starting to hurt. It no longer feels easy at 640-something. And I'm thinking of all of the work that I just did, both 
on that morning and the last thousands of miles. And then Shalane's, I never feel feel more alive than I do in racing marathons. And then I understood what she meant. So many of us live these, I don't want to say predictable, but like comfortable lives where work is hard, but like you're going to survive. And like, there's nobody um, trying to kill you all the time and et cetera, et cetera. Um, and there's a lot of certainty in our lives. And what she meant by that was thriving under this uncertainty and the the discomfort of not knowing how it's going to shake out. And I was like, wow, I've done so much work to get to this moment. Um, make it hurt more. And I said this to myself, like every quarter mile, make it hurt more. And then I started running on cobblestone. And I was like, I didn't mean literally. <laughs> literally. <laughs> like, like, well, I did. I did mean literally, but I didn't mean it like that. Um, and so then I get to mile 20 and I'm doing mental math. And I'm like, if I just keep it under seven minute miles from here on out for the next 10K, I'll, I'll break three hours. And fast forward the 10K, and I don't know what was more impressive, like actually doing it or the fact that my math was right because I ran 259.40 and screamed in the face of the person handing me the medal. And she was like, wow, that was awesome. Um, And in that moment, I was like, yep, that was cool. That was like living. That was living. And I'm, I'm craving that. I crave that feeling. I crave that I've never, I posted on Instagram that day. If you want something you've never have, if you want something you've never had, you have to go to a place you've never been. And I still think that's my favorite thing I've ever posted on the internet in like 15 years of using social media. Um, Because it's like so painfully, obviously true. And like really hard to understand at the same time because it's so not tangible. But I've been there again. And that's bordering like type two fun. It's definitely type two fun. Um, Last summer, I did the four pass loop out here in Colorado. It's like 28 miles. It took us over 12 hours. I was so deep in the well. And I was like, I don't know how I'm going to finish this (laughs) and I felt the same way when I did rim to rim to rim like I got to the north rim in the same duration as my longest run prior to that point and then I needed to double that and so for me the breaking three was the like do something you've never done and then do it again and again and again but it's maybe it's not breaking three as the again, again, again. It's like pushing that threshold of what's possible. And then that's like fun and and interesting and cool to talk about at a running party with a bunch of nerds, running nerds. But the real value from it comes when you can take what happened in that 259.40 elapsed time and take that into your normal life. And apply the lessons that you've learned in that arena where if you fail, it doesn't really matter. Uh, You'll care, but nobody else really will, um, except for haters on the internet. Um, But take that, take that 
lesson, take that sandbox that running provides us and use it to get uncomfortable and have conversations with your partner that you need to have or your boss or your colleague or whatever. Like discomfort is a muscle. Today in a meeting, I really wanted to say something that I felt would lead to a productive conversation. And three or four years ago, I would have been afraid to say it out of the fear of like it coming out the wrong way or pissing someone off or whatever. But I knew that the fact that it was like uncomfortable, but I really wanted to say it meant that I should say it. And my ability to actually say it was brought to you by running. (laughs) And I said it and it led to a great conversation. And, and so like, that's a, that's a tangible example of running doesn't matter until it matters. Right. Yeah. If you can do something, take something that you learn from all these stupid miles we run at the crack of dawn and, and be more productive in other areas of your life or like make breakthroughs occur in your personal life, your work life, your friend life, et cetera. Like that's the point of running and chasing three hours, running rim to rim to rim, like any of this stuff where there's a tangible or like fundamental thing that we all know as, wow, that's a big deal. Um, Those are generally like pillars or corners, like anchors that enable us to level level up. And so that's what it was for me, for sure. And I keep learning that lesson um, out here with trail running as well. And hopefully I'll, you know, (laughs) run another sub three marathon one day, but who knows? I wanted to ask you about that because earlier uh, you mentioned like uh, you you want that feeling again and you're going to get it again and again and again. And as you said, that's the the one time that you have done it. Like, do you... So step back, I guess. I had a conversation with someone today, an objectively good runner who has had incredible success. And he mentioned a race that he had and how high he finished in it. And he was disappointed in the moment. And now he, he like looks back and he's like, I obviously did a really good job. I know that I have struggled at times with, you know, allowing myself to enjoy things in the moment. I ran Twin Cities in 2021 and I ran a 324. And like the next day I'm driving home and I'm like, what's my next marathon? And is sub three in the cards. And like in hindsight, I re- I, re- I regret that I didn't allow myself to appreciate that because that was one where, I mean, like I beat my goal of the day by five minutes. I, I essentially had like a victory lap as I'm like coming over this hill, going to the Capitol in St. Paul. I'm like, this is the best feeling. And now I look back and it's like, damn it, Josh, you didn't enjoy that for even a few extra days, let alone, you know, longer than that. Like when you look back at, at 2019 and, and breaking three and, and how you did or didn't enjoy it and, and the goals that you set for yourself. Like, do, do you have regrets on how you appreciated it or didn't appreciate it in the moment? No, I appreciated the shit out of it. Good. I rode that Good. high for so freaking long. <laughs> I, I took that fitness. I ran so fast at Boulder Boulder that, that season, um, like, uh, four weeks later, um, <laughs> I ran like a, I ran 39, 14 on a absolutely brutal, um, 10 K at altitude. Um, David jokes that that course, um, takes about three minutes off of your flat sea level 10 K time. Um, so 
I celebrated the shit out of it. Um, I loved, I loved it. I celebrated it perhaps too much and maybe it even like became a part of my personality for a few weeks. Um, so if I regret anything, it's that, but, um, I think it's important to celebrate yourself, but, um, Scott Fobble said, uh, if you don't define yourself by your failures, should you define yourself by your successes? And his take on this is um, you get 24 hours to mope or 24 hours to celebrate and then chop wood, carry water. And I kind of like that take. And if you go into a race with that approach, it helps provide context. And it was sort of that perspective um, plus my own adaptation on it that I took with CIM. When I left for CIM, I looked at Alfie, who's this dog on the floor right here. And I said, when I get back, Alfie won't care what I did while I was gone. He won't care if I ran. He won't care if I broke two hours in the marathon. All he'll care about is that I'm back and I'm petting him and I'm going to give him dinner. And so Scott Fobble's spin on that is um, we did a podcast in 2020 and he was like, you have a shitty day. Your girlfriend, wife, partner will still love you. Yeah. Your friends will still be your friends. Your dog will still be your dog. And you can't define yourself by the outcome of a race. And so that that perspective has enabled me to have shitty races and get out of it. Um, but I, I, I can't wait to have a great race and take that same perspective. I've had great like adventure days. I've had great you know, stuff like that. And I think we can define ourselves on the process we take on those days or adventures or races um, and being proud of like how we executed and showed up for ourselves. But he's definitely right. Or the, the concept of defining yourself by a number, like that's why I failed four times. I was putting too much pressure on the number breaking three. I must break three. Otherwise I'm not a real runner. Like I thought that for the longest time. And I had a conversation on the podcast with a woman named India cook. I suggest everyone goes back and listens to that one. Um, she talked through her experience uh, running the New York city marathon and aspiring to break seven hours in the marathon. That's t- more than twice breaking three chasing three. And her story is just as interesting as any of ours. And um, I find that I find it to be so fascinating. And it's really cool that people who are chasing cutoffs are now getting the kind of coverage that people like us who are chasing like this conventional breaking three or breaking five in the mile or, you know, whatever, um, because it's it's the process. And like I have a lot of friends that are professional athletes that like they could run a sub three hour marathon tomorrow and it like wouldn't impress them. And um, I run a lot with Hayden Hawks and he's a trail runner and he's like super fit and he could probably run a two eleven, two twelve marathon. Like, but he just doesn't want to, he runs marathons as part of training for, for hundred mile races. And he can appreciate my passion for the process, the dedication that I put in, um, to training despite his time inevitably being 40 minutes faster 
And, and that's the part that I really love about this sport that like, um, we can set these benchmarks and chasing three is meaningful and all this stuff. And at the end of the day, like it's what we make of it and it's how we, it's how we interpret it. It's how we, um, carry it forward or, um, make, make the takeaways part of our life. Uh, so you, you, you do this up three and obviously that means you qualify for Boston. And this is for those of you who remember the calendar, this is at a 2020 and early Wait, on in that twist. I didn't qualify for Boston. Oh, you didn't? <laughs> no. Oh, I see. I, I guess I just always assumed that you, you BQ'd that day and then 2020 happens, but then you run it in 2021. Nope. Um, Damn it. I thought so, my research was on point today. Shit. <laughs> so, um, the, the qualifying time for under 35 year old male that year was two fifty two. Oh God. <laughs> so you got, did you get the technical BQ, but it was like, sorry, not sorry. You did the buffer. Yes. Cause, Oh, cause it got delayed. Brutal. And then I got a, a sponsor bib or something. I, I honestly can't remember how I ended up running that race. Oh, I think I was, I did some fundraising for it and yeah, I got a sponsor bib and I, I raised several thousand dollars for the life is good foundation. Um, and they gave me a bib. Um, so I, I didn't, <laughs> I broke three. I, I broke three. I didn't be Q and I still ran the race, <laughs> but I ran the, I ran the fall. Yeah. 21 Boston. And then, um, and then, the 2022 registration opened up and my 2019 um, marathon obviously didn't yeah. qualify. But at that time, a 259.59 would have qualified. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild uh, now because my, so, you know, I got five minutes because I'll be 35 next year. So I have five minutes and 13 seconds to work with. And so I figure like in a lot of years, I'm okay. But <laughs> if there's a pandemic again, I think I'll be screwed. Yeah, exactly. Well, people got really fit during the pandemic. Yeah, that's that's when that's when everything started for me. I started running. Like I, I was an on and off guy. I ran in high school. I was, you know, I was okay. And and right before everything got going in January of 2020, I was like, I, I want to get back into running. And I stumbled upon something that was like run slow. And I'd never run slow before. I'd always <laughs> just gone out and like like an idiot, like, oh, well, I'll run a little faster than what my marathon time would be. And so finally in 2020, I started running slow. And I mean, I wouldn't, sh I wouldn't shut up about it. I, I fell in love with running in a way that I did not think was possible mentally or even physically, where I remember waking up for the first time ever at like 3.45, 4.15 and like just being so excited. And so I'm going out and I'm running 10-minute miles on flatter than flat trails and I'm going, I'm out there for three and a half hours almost. And I, I'd get home and I would just be, I mean, grinning ear to ear. It was the best experience. Sounds awesome. Yeah, it absolutely was. Um, I wanted to ask you about the podcast. You started it in 2019. Like, what were you hoping to get out of it? And, and now, like, when you look back at it four years later, like, have you, I imagine you've gotten a lot more out of it, you know, looking back on starting it. Yeah, totally. So um, my day job, I work at Inside Tracker. Uh, we do personalized nutrition through blood analysis. And so as you can imagine, this became popular in running, particularly in trail running. 
And so my job was sending me to Flagstaff and San Francisco and Boulder, like, woe is me, all these tough places to visit. And I'm just a curious person. And so I was asking people questions about, like, how do you do what you do? Why are you successful? What is success? Like all these things that I love to talk about. And one particular conversation in May or September of 2018 was with Zach Miller, who I had seen finish a 50 mile race the year prior, just like ripping off six minute miles at the end of a 50 mile race. And I was running a 10 K and he blew my freaking doors off and just making this like visceral noise. I was like, how do you do this and why? And he's running like 150 miles a week at the time. Anyway, we, I was out in Colorado. Um, I went down to Colorado Springs. We did the Manitou Incline. He did it like twice in the time I did it once. And then we got went out to dinner. And he put on this clinic of eating. It was like really impressive how much food he put down. Again, he was running 150 mile weeks. And I asked something and he put his fork down and talked for 10 minutes straight. <laughs> I was like, okay, maybe I'm on to something here. And I was having these conversations, like I would go to Boulder and I'd meet with like 30 athletes in a seven day period. And these are professionals and Olympians and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I'm learning a ton from these people. Maybe I should stick a mic in front of us. <laughs> and fast forward, and then I didn't think much of it. And fast forward to December of 2018, I'm listening to a podcast with Billy Yang and Mario Frioli talking about this boom in podcasting. Mind you, it's May, December of 2018, <laughs> the first boom. Um, and they were reflecting on iron sharpens iron. And in that moment, I said, screw it. I don't know anything about this, but I'm going to do it. And um, I reached out to Eric Strands of Ultra Runner Podcast, um, who had put out hundreds of podcasts. And I was like, Hey man, like, what do I do? How do I do this? And he told me what I needed to buy. He told me the software. He's like, you buy this digital audio recorder and run it through this service called Alphonic and then put it onto Anchor, which is now Spotify for podcasters. And I started doing all that. My first 50 episodes were all recorded in person, either in like Tahoe, San Francisco, Boulder, um, or Flagstaff just like on these trips and then the pandemic hits and I'm like, Oh, I got to do virtual. By the way, if you can hear snoring, Alfie is now snoring. <laughs> My dog's yeah. snoring too. Oh, he's quiet now. Um, so I figured out virtual and then I started getting contacted by brands who were saying, Hey, all of these races were canceled. We have this money we need to spend and we need to talk to runners. Can we pay you to talk about us? I was like, well, that's a novel concept. Somebody <laughs> wants to pay me to, to do this podcast. So that's March of 2020. Um, I did a bunch of episodes that were sponsored. I made like $1,000 in a month. I was like, whoa, this is awesome. Um, it was like a thousand bucks for three episodes. And... Um, and then I just like keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it. And then I'm like, so I'm, I'm, I crave this human connection. I crave the, um, this like banter and, and where else in our lives do we 
have an hour of time when we don't look at our phones, right? Like I can see I am on do not disturb, but I can see I have four text messages and I haven't opened them and I don't really want to until we're done. But like, where else does that happen? Right. And so when the pandemic started, I was living by myself in a fourth floor walk up apartment in Boston and I felt so alone. And so I recorded 14 episodes over like a 10 day period or eight day period I was like, okay, great. Now I'm putting out two episodes a week because I have this bank of of 14 episodes I need to get out there. So I started like churning through guests and did so many guests. And then like more brands started reaching out and um, I synced up with Gooder and they've sponsored every episode since March of 2021. Not every episode, every month. Um, And it has turned into this thing where there are now like seven people working on the podcast in some capacity and my my monthly cost is like more than I was making out of school in my first job. At like I'm paying that much to other people to produce yeah. my podcast because I have a full time job and can't afford to do it myself. Because um, I'd lose my job, or I wouldn't I wouldn't be successful in my job. Um, and so it it has. So why do I still do it? I've been asked that question a couple of times. Um, One of the times was from Kevin Rutherford, the CEO of Noon. And I was like, Kevin, we just talked for an hour and I'm going to do something. I'm going to change my life and like make tangible changes as a result of what I just learned from you. And I've now done that 270 times. And so that's 270 opportunities to learn and, and get better. Um, that I wouldn't have had otherwise. And so for me, it's just this curiosity and like a thirst for growing. Um, I, 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 I'm privileged to have some of the connections that I have and the network that I have and the access that I have to certain people. And my relationship with these really interesting people enables me to ask questions that I don't think other people can or should ask or would be comfortable asking. Um, I keep talking about Hayden. Um, We were running a few weeks ago and I asked him, I was like, why do you want to win Western States so bad? He talks about it a lot. And he's like, oh, it was the race that got me into running or into trail running and blah, blah, blah. I was like, no, but like you're 50 miles into the race and you've got another 50 miles to go and you're running to win. Just liking the race isn't, big enough motivate like it can't be a big enough motivator like give me a better answer um and he didn't really have a better answer and he texted me the next morning he was like man i've been thinking about your question ever since you asked it um thanks and to me it's like the understanding of your own why is so important and hopefully that helps him on his journey this year i don't know when this podcast is coming out but um hayden and i released a podcast that a podcast that talked through that answer, which is out June 9th um, on For the Long Run. Um, and I, like, I, I can ask him, I'm like, bro, that's a, that's a bad answer. Why, why don't you think about it? And <laughs> get back <laughs> try to me. Again. Yeah, get back to me. And, and so he did, and, and we had a conversation on it. And like, I've had Olympians sit on the couch behind me and talk through not what, it felt like to win an Olympic gold medal, but what it felt like the next day. 
And the winning the Olympic gold medal is not relatable for anybody that's listening to my podcast, except the other Olympians, <laughs> but many of them have not won met gold medals. But what happens the next day? What happens after you have achieved something that you've only ever dreamt of? Like, how do you how do you keep the goalpost moving forward? How do you learn? How do you get through post-race blues? How do you get through a, a depression that occurs after blah, 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 blah. Like, so I feel like a, like a sense of um, responsibility given my level of access and curiosity to continue to pursue this. And it's creating like a meaningful um, revenue stream and uh, uh, the ability to work with really cool brands Drove $350,000 of business for a solar company. Um, that's so cool. <laughs> and that's like, a, that's a lot. Uh, that's a big, they're a hundred million dollar brand, but $350,000 is, is a good amount of money. And it's for something that's like actually meaningful and contributes to the world. That's like eight people that are now not consuming um, worse forms of energy. And, it's only eight people, but it's still eight more people than it would have happened without it. And so I, I feel strongly about working with awesome brands and leveraging my audience, my platform, my guests as a way to enhance what people are learning about. And um, because it's not my day job, I can take risks and I can... Um, uh, experiment with things right like i i find a personal fascination with bringing non-endemic sponsors into the sport i'm like relentlessly pursuing audi united airlines hertz um rent a car uh because those things are involved in the running journey like i was i was driving up to this trail up the boulder canyon today in my car and like this car is fun to drive up mountain roads <laughs> And so like, there's such a good story there. There, like the, the car looks beautiful in the mountainscape. It's important. You know, how are we going to fly to, to mountain adventures and certain airlines are more eco-friendly than others. Like certain car rental fleets focus more on EV and, you know, I'm renting a Tesla. Like there's so much in how we position these brands and there's so much in like, I, I want to steer away from this like over consumerism or over consumption and, and like recommend things, not just to buy more stuff, but because these brands are doing good things or they're made up of good people with great missions. And I want those people to win. And so I want to use my platform to help good people win. And so my goals include help people learn from these athletes and then help good brands win and these good brands are helping me make the podcast possible so that I can pay the other people who produce all the the deliverables for it. So it's a fun little game, I guess you could say. It's a fun little project um, that seven people are working on. I have uh, someone, I don't know what to call her, like my assistant or my podcast manager or um, the brains behind the operation really is a better title for it. And I'm her biggest client. <laughs> And this is what she does full time. And her job is to basically take everything off my plate 
that doesn't involve me talking to someone about the podcast or like having the actual conversation. And so it's really cool that like I can help pay her bills and she can help execute this vision that I had that I had no idea what it was going to turn into, but I just kept pushing and kept doing it. And eventually it's like, it's gotten easier. And I actually do less now than I did when I started. Um, and so very, again, very long answer. You can tell I'm verbose and a good, you know, makes for a great podcast host, host man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Face for radio. <laughs> hey, me too. I, I love what you said in there about, um, talking to these athletes like a gold medal winner the day after they win a gold medal because there is a part of me that like so I've been on I've been on the air for about 10 years and I look back at at mid 20s me and and like I wish I had the appreciation for like the process you know like coaches we've had so many coaches that we've covered around here that always talk about the process and I always just kind of hand waved it away right <laughs> and and then over the last couple of years like yeah, the, the medal is really cool. The post-race beer is really cool. But man, like if if I didn't love a 15 mile run on a Wednesday morning in August, like, you know, I, I, I would carry water. Yeah, I wouldn't appreciate the other stuff. And so and, and then also like the failures and like the feeling that I had after that race a month ago, it, I guess in a way it gave me a better appreciation for what a coach or a player feels like on a Monday morning after a horrible loss on Saturday or Sunday. Right. And like, I mean, it's not going to, doesn't mean I'm not going to be critical of things that need to be, you know, critical of, but I also do have a different appreciation for coaches and, and athletes versus even a few years ago. For sure. Yeah. It's cool. It's, it's a cool perspective. Why did you start this podcast? Um, so it, it's funny. You had a guest on, uh, you know, I wish I would have written it Chad down daily. I, yeah. And, and, mentioned you talked about being curious and you said that word a couple of times and I started thinking about my curiosity and how like I think I'm an okay writer but it's really just kind of a place to put my thoughts and I love listening to your conversations I love listening to other people's conversations I love running with people and talking to them about it and like not everybody in my life can relate like my dad he's run 14 marathons um, he's probably done. He may, he maybe has one more. We're hoping to run Berlin in a few years together. <laughs> cool. And, and so that would be 15 and he'd leave his shoes at the finish line. And then I have a couple of friends, but like m my coworkers don't get it. And, and I talk for a living. And so I figured, you know what? I should probably start talking with people. And if I make money, cool. If I don't like, I don't care. Like I talked about it with a, with somebody else who works in kind of my same company. And, and I was like, look, I don't care if I don't make any money. I just want to talk to people. And so like, you are the first person that I reached out to that is not a friend of mine locally. And when you responded, I was like, awesome. At, at the very least, I'll get to hear from you for an hour because I love your questions and I figured your answers would be kick-ass too. <laughs> Amazing. Um, yeah, I love that. The, I think if it's rooted in curiosity, everything else, you'll figure it out, right? Like, yeah. There, there are so many podcasts that exist to talk about mile splits and how did this race go and how did that race go. And there's seemingly a market for that and people love it, but good for them. Uh, that's not what I'm interested in covering. I want to know who you are, why you care so much, and what the several thousand people listening can learn from you. And then they follow you and they follow your journey. And, and you have a bunch of new friends that care about you. Yeah. And like, to me, that's really cool. 
Yeah, it absolutely is. Um, before we, before you go, I, I so I'm going to finish the podcast. I have the question to start and I want a question to finish. So the name is chasing three hours. I came up with that name thinking I'd have like years and years of buildup before I hit the goal and I hit it, but I'm stuck with it now. Um, what are you chasing right now? So my summer goal is, um, to be fit enough to say yes to any adventure with three to five days notice. That's, that's what I'm chasing right now. I love it. It's a hell of a goal. It could be a 20 mile day. It could be a 30 mile day. It could be a, hopefully it's not more, but (laughs) we'll see. Oh, Jonathan Levitt. Thank you so much for joining me today on chasing three hours. Josh, thanks for, uh, thanks for having me. This was a blast. Thanks again to Jonathan Levitt for joining me on today's episode. Be sure to check out his podcast for the long run. Huge thanks to Ian Alio for the music and sound design. He was one of the first people I talked to about this project, and I am so happy he helped me in the numerous ways he has. The biggest thanks of all to my fiance, Riss, for, I mean, pretty much everything as it pertains to running and life, but as it relates to this episode, she designed the logo. Babes, thanks. Head to Chasing3Hours.com for more from me, including my weekly newsletter, as I write about my experience training for the 2024 Boston Marathon. If you liked what you heard today, be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and maybe share with a friend as well. New episodes will drop on Friday mornings. Enjoy your long run this weekend.